One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day Premier League podcast from TalkSport, the ultimate review and preview to all the big action with me, Sam Matterface, assistant editor of The Mirror, Darren Lewis, and TalkSport transfer guru, Alex Crook. Coming up, 10 Premier League games in midweek, all of them live on TalkSport. Get to our app, pick the games you want and flick between TalkSport and TalkSport 2 because there are some corkers including Thomas Tuchel's first game in charge of Chelsea as Frank gets the chop. We also got Jose against Klopp. The last time these two met, it was a battle for the top. Now, both their bubbles have popped. It's fourth versus fifth. It's top versus bottom at Bramall Lane, although by the time we get there on Wednesday night, so much might have changed. Manchester City might be top and West Brom heading closer to the bottom. Also, Newcastle versus Leeds with Bruce on the brink. Southampton make Arteta think and Everton and Leicester with Vardy on the blink. Plus, the previews from Brighton, Burnley and Palace ahead of a London derby. All that and more on the Game Day Premier League podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. My concern is not the pressure on me because I can deal with it because I've been in football a long, long time as a player at top club, so I understand. Oh, and somehow Werner's missed it! what I've just seen. At the end of the day, we know that some individual form has not been at its best lately. For Frank Lampard and Chelsea, it is three successive away defeats. If you keep changing everybody, and regularly keep changing everybody, and you're losing, still losing football matches, then maybe your decisions need to be questioned. People are going to ask questions, because there's been managers at Chelsea that have been sacked once winning doubles, yeah. winning Champions, Champions League. There is a row going on here as to who is going to take the penalty. Werner and Abraham were arguing over it. Well, it's amazing what pressure and bad results and bad performances can do. Why would you get rid of him now, now that he's made the, the investment? Absolutely doesn't make sense. Chelsea Football Club have today parted company with head coach Frank Lampard. So as we record this podcast uh, on what is Monday lunchtime, um, Frank Lampard's future as Chelsea manager has not only come under question, I mean, it's pretty evident now that he's going to be relieved of his duty or has been relieved of his duty this morning at the training ground. Training was rescheduled for the afternoon session. Uh, reports coming from Matt Law at The Telegraph earlier on today uh, suggesting that he would be sat within 24 hours ahead of the game against Wolves, which is live on TalkSport on uh, Wednesday at six o'clock. Now, uh, look, Chelsea have had a a reputation for hiring and firing managers in quick succession at the first sign of faltering, Darren Lewis. Are you surprised uh, by how quickly the axe has come down on what is, let's be honest, a Chelsea playing legend? He is a playing legend, absolutely. He's done fantastically in a Chelsea cert. Won everything there is to win, scored goals for fun, as we know, set a really high standard for what it means to 
be a Chelsea player. But as a manager, it hasn't worked out. Uh, it got a team into the top four last season on despite a, a transfer ban. But then they spent over £200 million in the transfer market and instead they've gone backwards. And at Chelsea, they are ruthless. Di Matteo lifted the Champions League for them a couple of months into the subsequent season. He was gone. Ancelotti lifted the double for them. The following season, he was gone. It doesn't really matter what you do in a Chelsea shirt. If you can't do it as a manager on a sustained period, for a sustained period of time, and they pull the trigger. Um, have we forgotten the fact that he lost one of the first 19 games of the season, Alex Crook? That's a long time ago. Well, it's not actually that long ago. The last one of those was on the fifth of uh, well, the eighth of December. Yeah, a long time ago. <laughs> it's, it's, it's six yeah. weeks. <laughs> yeah, a lot can happen in six weeks. Six <laughs> weeks ago, Liverpool were top of the league and flying, and in that time, everyone's wondering if they're going to be in the top four. Sorry, Cookie, go. On. You go ahead. I think the writing was on the wall for Frank Lampard uh, as soon as he was given the open checkbook um, to revamp the squad. It was always going to take those players time to settle. I think he's been unlucky. Um, and, and what we underestimate is, is the, the global COVID situation. You've got two relatively young players in Werner and Havertz coming over from Germany, trying to settle in a new country under really harsh lockdown restrictions. I think that's had an impact. But ultimately... I think Frank Lampard was given a job that he wasn't qualified to do. And I've said before, the only reason that he got the job in the first place was A, because of his playing connections. He's arguably Chelsea's greatest ever player. I don't think this, this tarnishes that legacy in the eyes of the fans, but he wouldn't have got the job under normal circumstances. Had they not been subject to a transfer embargo, he probably wouldn't have got an interview. He, he didn't really do enough at Derby to justify such a big jump. And I think he's been found out. I think he's been found out in the big games. You mentioned that run they were on. Every time they've come up against a direct rival for the top six, pretty much they've come up short. Manchester United beat them three times last season. They lost the FA Cup final to Arsenal, a match they were expected to win. I think this is the right decision from the Chelsea board. It goes back to what I've said about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I know you'll say that he's proved me wrong. Elite clubs need elite coaches. And Frank Lampard at the moment isn't an elite coach. I think the, 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 the comparison of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is an interesting one because I think, as you've already sort of alluded to, he was given the time and has been given the time to be able to learn on the job and get better as time has gone on. He's reacted well um, to adversity and he has stayed calm and stable during that period as well. I won't think um, that Manchester United have been rewarded by uh, being loyal to him, by being top of the table and getting uh, good results against big clubs. And whether or not he goes on to achieve anything, I think the fact that they've been loyal to him has been the right decision. I think with Frank, 18 months is never going to be long enough. But I do think he has been at times a bit too emotional. But I mean, the pragmatic and loyal Frank Lampard supporter in me would turn around and say, look, he's had no money up until this summer. Um, I and mean, he had players foisted upon him, not ones that he necessarily wanted to sign. Kai Havertz was not his signing. That was a club signing, a signing that was borne out by the need to buy one of Europe's hottest prospects. And it was sold to him as a legacy signing for the club. Um, he's in the second and third year of pro management. Um, he's basically used a youth team for the first year. There's no supporters in the ground. He's got COVID to deal with. So for, for, for a manager of his 
his his experience, it was always going to be difficult. And if you've appointed that guy, then I think you have a duty to support that guy. But this is the reality. When they appointed Frank Lampard, he was appointed to fill a gap for a year or two. The plan was to move him on after last year because they didn't think they'd get to the top four. Trust me, if they had not won that game against Wolverhampton Wanderers, they would have moved him on. He knew that if he didn't win that game and get into the top four that day, that was it. It was over. When he was given the job, you saw pictures of him arriving at Stamford Bridge and he went into an office. I think the Moose was there taking pictures for for TalkSport. Do you think those conversations were, Frank, we've got a transfer embargo, so this is a great opportunity for us to develop our own talent and uh, promote some of the guys from the youth team. Uh, we'll be patient with you because we know we've got to try and get those players' first-team experience and to promote from within. There was no discussion about that. That never happened. It was very simple. Top four trophies. We're Chelsea. We need to win, no matter the circumstances. So I don't think there was ever any... Uh, sense that I mean I, I keep reading, reading this stuff that he's got a great relationship with the hierarchy I don't think that's true um, and I don't think it's ever been true that he's got a great relationship with Roman Abramovich either I think the the situation is is that actually they never really considered that his legendary status mattered in whether uh, they would keep him not keep him appoint him not appoint him he was available at the time it fit for a year I think they he was they were surprised that he got to the top four and ever since then, they've been thinking about who's going to be next. And I think we'll find out very quickly who is going to be next. See, I, 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 the one thing I disagree with you on, Sam, is that the whole idea around it's a problem to have landed the likes of Kai Havertz. I don't think it's a problem. I just think I it think was foisted upon him. It was to, it was told to him, this is the player that you're going to have. And yeah, but, he's and, like, and I've already got a player in that position. I don't need one. Yeah, but... Uh, Havertz is one of the biggest talents in European football. But, I mean, but hasn't shown it Linton. this yeah. season, and and as a result, has created a problem. Well, fair enough. But if he doesn't show it, then surely you take him out the firing line and you you reconfigure the side so that you can perform efficiently without Havertz in the side, and then you can sell it to the people who run the club that, yes, he's coming, but he's going to need time, and without him, I can still win football matches. You look at the run of form so far in the team, and I look, when I say all this, let me caveat it by saying I actually agree with you. I think if you have a young manager, you do need to give him time. I do agree with you on that. But I think if you look at Chelsea's recent performances, they struggle to beat Luton for a long time that wasn't comfortable for them at all when you consider the firepower that they've got they were they struggled to beat Fulham it wasn't um, it wasn't they, uh, listen they struggled to beat Fulham and they struggled to, and that was a dreadful performance it was a dreadful performance against West Ham United when they won 3-0 they could and, have lost uh, that game but, against City. but the Luton game for example uh, they were terrible against Manchester City absolutely ter- the fact they've been terrible for quite a while in fact even when they even though they were beating Leicester. teams let's be completely honest about it. I was at the Leicester game it was absolutely dreadful when they were beating teams earlier in the season I mean let's not try and paper over the cracks and suggest that they've been particularly good at any stage over the course of the campaign when they were winning matches earlier in the campaign it was Sheffield United Burnley Newcastle and Leeds United you know let's not get excited and pretend that even I, I used it as a as a caveat one defeat in 19 they, they haven't beat anybody decent for a very long time. The timing is strange. Yes. Because again, it's, it's come after a victory. Why didn't they sack him after that Leicester debacle in midweek? 
or had they already had the conversation? I asked that question because we all saw the unsavoury scenes for me in his press conference. He singled out a particular journalist. I thought that lacked dignity, lacked class. It looked to me a man who was under intense pressure. And maybe when he did that, he knew the writing was on the wall. But to take it forward, what next for Frank Lampard? Is he a manager who other Premier League clubs will look to in the future? Or is the championship at this stage his level? And who do they go for? I think the reports they want a German speaker are accurate. You've got Ralph Hasenhutl for me, who I, I love dearly at Southampton. I think he could easily step up to the, that job. I think they'll probably look for someone with more European pedigree. I think they'll go for Thomas Tuchel. Which would be a mistake yeah, because they, he alienates everybody. He does. And, 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 and he's a guy who comes in and initially appears to have a plan and very quickly looks as though he doesn't. Um, and I think at PSG, it all fell apart very, very quickly for him. Um, and the reason that they brought in Pochettino was because they needed to have a clarity about the direction that they were going in and a guy who could actually build from a defensive base. And and I'm, I'm not convinced that Tuchel is that guy. Um, I would have stayed with Frank Lampard. Yeah, it's one of those, it's a typical Chelsea appointment, which is the uh, the man of the moment, the the man who everybody's talking about gets the job. Whether it's the right appointment in the long term, I'd be surprised because, as I've already said, he seems to alienate the people that work for him and the people he works for very quickly and he leaves himself isolated. Maybe he's learned from those experiences, you never know. But it's, it's a sad state of affairs because I think when Frank Lampard came in and Chelsea start play, playing quite well... Um, I think they endeared themselves to the neutral supporter for the first time in about 15, 20 years. Um, and now I think they're going to be very much viewed as, a, as the ruthless club, which they undoubtedly are once again. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. 
10 live exclusive Premier League commentaries across the TalkSport network. Harrison in the area, makes it three. That's glorious, absolutely glorious from Leeds United. The misery continues for Steve Bruce. 10 without a win for Newcastle now in all competitions. It was an instant finish by Ings and Southampton lead. Arsenal come forward again, Tilly finds it into the area and Lacazette makes it 4-0. And Ferran Torres will tap it in from eight yards out. Celebrations from West Bromwich Albion because they have won only their second game in the Premier League. Mason Mount lets fly from 25 yards and Chelsea are back in the game. And Manchester United return to power. Calvin Lewin at the double, another superb sweeping move from Everton. A wonderful Kane Son combination again. And Tottenham Hotspur have doubled their lead. Jurgen Klopp's team stunned by a late Burnley penalty and their title aspirations have firmly hit the rocks. It is live, it is exclusive, it is only on TalkSport. Well, there are other games this week as well, apart from Chelsea versus Wolves, which is live on TalkSport. Um, Wolves are not in the greatest of form, no clean sheet in 12 Premier League matches. They struggled against Chorley. That match kicks off at six o'clock. It will be the focus of everybody's attention now. I'll be there alongside Troy Deeney at six o'clock, live on TalkSport on Wednesday night. Uh, later that night, Manchester United against Sheffield United and Tottenham versus uh, Liverpool, which is on Thursday. Uh, Manchester United-Liverpool uh, finished with a victory for Manchester United. Bruno Fernandes said in his post-match interview, Crook, I know the fans will be happy. They'll have a good week now. Uh, well, thanks to him, they will. And he really gets it, doesn't he? He understands that that victory, that win will set them apart. As if I couldn't love this guy anymore. It was actually his pre-match interview um, that Gary Lineker did that endeared him to me because he just gets it. He gets the culture. He gets what's expected. He speaks like a leader. He acts like a leader. His reaction to being told he, he wouldn't be starting the game was to spend an extra 45 minutes on the training ground practicing free kicks. Well, practice clearly paid off with that late winning goal. Didn't sulk. Came on. Made an impact. He was the one in stoppage time bellowing at his teammates, cajoling them over the line. I mean, somebody said to me, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has changed the culture of Manchester United. And I'm not saying this to deride Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in any way. I think at the moment he's doing a terrific job the last few weeks Bruno Fernandes has changed the culture of Manchester United he's changed the culture beyond belief he's got Cantona's qualities and as long as he's driving this team on there are trophies there to be won you look at the, the other teams in the title race Manchester City rocked by De Bruyne's injury Vardy injured for Leicester Liverpool one win in seven that was against Aston Villa's youth team there will be no better chance for Manchester United to get back to the top of the English game. With Bruno Fernandes in the team, they can do it. That was a statement win. And again, a criticism that I've had of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is that too often in the big games, like I said about Lampard, they come up short. They didn't come up short yesterday. They saw a, a vulnerability about Liverpool and they exploited it. Yeah, I'd, I, I, I'd agree with that. And I would say this, um, I, I think the stat that really stands out for me is the number 21. That's the number of points they've picked up from losing positions this season. Real character about the side. They've won 12 of their 19 games so far during the current campaign. And there was a run of seven games in nine where they'd conceded the first goal on each of those occasions they came back to win. And I think now, as Crook says, Fernandez for me, 
is the guy who has changed that culture. He's a leader who stood up and had a transformative effect on the team. They wouldn't have been in the Champions League if it were not for him. They wouldn't be in title contention if it wasn't for him. When every other player was underperforming, Fernandez was consistent. And now, for all the forget all the criticism from before, you have to take them seriously as a title force. And it is now in their hands. The game against Sheffield United. Listen, I think Sheffield United will rally eventually against teams they should be able to beat, but they won't beat this United side. They're too good, got too much power in midfield, and they've got too much goal-scoring capability up front. Um, Let's talk about uh, the Liverpool-Tottenham game. What do you think will happen with uh, Tottenham and uh, Liverpool on Thursday night? Because Liverpool, six attempts to go past the fifth round. They've never done that. They've gone out. They've got problems in the defence. Liverpool's fundamental issues have been pretty much at centre-back. I heard Darren Bent's bootroom on TalkSport straight after the game. Why haven't they addressed that? Michael Edwards uh, will have a target in his mind, I'm sure. But uh, imagine that defence trying to contain Kane and Son. There's a combination of reasons. I think, first and foremost, the Liverpool owners don't spend money in, in the way that Roman Abramovich and... and uh, the Manchester City owners do. Um, in some ways, you could say that with that in mind, they did really well to overtake Manchester City last season because they're not really competing on a level financial front. And I think secondly, Jurgen Klopp believed that he had enough depth in his squad. Uh, clearly, that hasn't been the case. I actually thought Liverpool produced one of their better performances in recent weeks against Manchester United. I didn't think they played badly. I thought the fullbacks uh, were bombing on a bit more than we've seen recently, although... Manchester United exploited that, particularly with Trent Alexander-Arnold against Rashford down the Liverpool right-hand side. I think they'll give Tottenham a good game. I wouldn't be surprised if Liverpool bounce back to winning ways in this one. I saw enough in that game against Manchester United to suggest they're capable of doing that. And we know that in these type of games, Jose Mourinho's natural approach is cautiousness, a defence-minded approach. So maybe Tottenham won't look to attack those vulnerabilities as much as Manchester United did. It was a brave performance from United. I'm not sure Tottenham will sit out like that. What you've just summed up, Alex, is the trouble with Liverpool at the moment. They are good going forward. They always have had that goal-scoring capability. The problem where they're weakest is in defence. And they're up against uh, Harry Kane, who is in a fantastic form this season, and Son Heung-min, who could get in behind the walls of Fort Knox. I mean, I think as far as Son is concerned, you've got a midfielder and a rookie playing at centre-half in, in, in Reese Williams. He will turn them inside out. Um, I, I think that these, this is one of the most dangerous and difficult comb- uh, combinations to play against if you are not at full strength in your back line. And Liverpool are not at full strength in their back line. And this is the reason why I think that Spurs might be able to continue the misery for them. I know that Mourinho's targeted these points ever since the original game at Anfield, where they were unlucky to lose in the last minute to that goal by Firmino. And Liverpool did, uh, sorry, Spurs did very well in that game. I can see a scenario where Mourinho says, look, we are going to target those two in central defence and we are going to make their lives the misery. I think Liverpool might have another difficult evening. And do you, they took the lead twice against Manchester United in that FA Cup game on, on Sunday. So they obviously can still create chances and Tottenham have this sort of, this habit of, of scoring once and trying to sit back. Do you think that that will be the, uh, the pattern of the game on Thursday? 
I think that's always the pattern of the game for Jose Mourinho, and in particular when he comes up against a team that he considers to be a direct rival for a place in the top four. Harder to implement against a Liverpool side who, who seemingly find a way. I mean, I know they had their problems in front of goal up until the last week or so, but they, they've got weapons, haven't they? That would be yeah, and they found a way to win when these two met at Anfield, when Tottenham were, were well in the game, had chances to win it themselves, didn't take it again. They were sitting very deep at the end of the game and, and Liverpool exploited that. And that's why I think this this could be an easier game for Liverpool to find their mojo in than, say, against Burnley, who, <laughs> who they were expected to be. I, I think the fact that a lot of people are talking about Tottenham being favourites might just help Jurgen Klopp create that siege mentality, which clearly he's been trying to do over the past few weeks. And as I say, I don't think there was much wrong with the Liverpool performance at Old Trafford. It could have gone either way. United played very well. Salah will take confidence from scoring those two goals. Obviously, Sadio Mane will come back into the team. I'm not sure if Henderson will be fit or not. I think that that will be a big problem if he isn't because he provides such a good shield in front of that back line. Well, part one of this week's South Coast double bill between Southampton and Arsenal is a mouth-watering imperative ahead of Tuesday's forthcoming battle for ground in the race for Europe that we will also bring you live on Talk Sport. Prowse able to pick it up. It wasn't the pass that Ings are meant to play. But as the ball is swinging from Walker Peters as Southampton strike first in the FA Cup fourth round. Disappointing the way we lost it, the way we conceded the goal is, is completely on us. Would you believe it? It is Arsenal nil, Southampton one. Who's scored? It's only Theo Walcott. You know, a really good positive win and, um, you know, we play them again in a few days' time, so uh, another big challenge. Arsenal won, Southampton won, and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang finally has his goal. Southampton beat Arsenal at the weekend, a victory that raised more questions about Mikel Arteta and Arsenal. Firstly, what is going on with Aubameyang? And should we be concerned? Uh, uh, and then secondly, why didn't he pick his strongest team? They're the holders of the FA Cup. They aren't going to do anything in the league. I didn't really get that, Darren Lewis. I, I think he didn't go pick his strongest team because I don't think he is going to be judged by what he does in the FA Cup this season. He's going to be judged on whether or not he gets into the top four. And I still think that is not a forlorn mission this season and so he needs to keep his best players available for that competition um, that said it did raise eyebrows that they didn't have enough to be able to go and beat a Southampton side that are decent but not any great shakes and and yeah, they're just not the same Arsenal they're an Arsenal side in transition he's moving players out he's trying to reshape it in his own image he's relying most on younger players but they just couldn't find a way through and I think this season I think it will there'll be moments where it does get worse before it gets better uh, but what is clear is that he does have the faith of the club despite this I don't think this is going to be any great blemish on his record having lifted the trophy last season it will be about what he does in the league when you say that he's creating a team in his own his own image I mean look they haven't conceded a goal or they hadn't conceded a goal until that uh, own goal from Gabriel uh, in 508 minutes. But they're not exactly free scoring, are they? They're not very good to watch. In fact, most of their matches are pretty boring, aren't they? Yeah. Listen, if you look at Southampton, I think they'd only scored once in their previous five league games. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, they weren't exactly up against a side 
that could take you apart. This Arsenal are very stodgy. They're very uncertain. Their confidence is very fragile. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens in this game, whether Southampton can take advantage again of the fact that you're only really one or two defeats away from a crisis at Arsenal. Um, I think the Arsenal fans had a push or stomach going out of the FA Cup. If they were to lose again and set their progress back in the league, I think some of the old wounds could be reopened. I'm not, I'm not sure what Arsenal are at the moment. And again, we had this discussion with Darren Bent, a big Arsenal fan. I didn't understand the team selection. I thought it was disrespectful to Southampton. I thought it was disrespectful to the FA Cup. And I thought it was disrespectful to the Arsenal fans who value this trophy. And rightly so. They, they've won it more times than anybody else. That team that he sent out wasn't good enough to beat a very good Southampton side. So he basically chucked away the FA Cup. Why? Where are they going to finish in the league? If they finish above eighth, I'll be surprised. And what's the recruitment policy now? Martin Odegaard, great player at 16. What's he done for the last six years? They've already got Emil Smith-Rowe in that position. I don't understand that signing. I think Arteta is still in very choppy waters and I'm not buying it. They've turned a corner. If you look who they've beaten, yeah. apart from Chelsea, who now we know are a crisis club themselves, they've beaten a poor West Brom side, that they've beaten an, a Crystal Palace team who didn't... Uh, sorry, no, they didn't. They didn't. They drew beaten, Crystal Palace. And yeah. That guy was at that game. It was absolutely yeah, And it was dreadful. dreadful. And they've beaten a very bad Newcastle team. They've beaten a Brighton side who were fragile in terms of confidence, particularly at home. I think there's still massive problems for Mikel Arteta. Listen, I think we've got to be careful here because we did this with United when they started to win matches. And we said, they've only done this and they've only beaten that side and that side is bad. All you can do is win. If you look at Liverpool, Liverpool's record away from home against the smaller clubs is poor. And yet, had they won those games, we'd have said, it's only Fulham, it's only West Brom, it's only X, Y, Z club. I do agree with you to an extent that we can't get carried away with what Arsenal have done so far. I haven't done anything. There were signs, there were signs that maybe there was a pilot light of, of, of desire, if you like, still on at Arsenal. And I think that you, you can't take anything away from, from that. It's just, as I said before, their confidence is fragile. We still need to, that for a club like Arsenal, two or three wins isn't enough. I agree there does need to be more, but sometimes you do have to give credit where it's due. <sighs> I think it'll be tight this game. Southampton's expected goals are down there with Newcastle and Arsenal very mid-table on that metric. But Saints' troubles, I think, if they are going to come, uh, if they're going to have any troubles, it looks to be with squad depth because there's a lot of untested players on that bench. I was doing the, the prep for the game on uh, Tuesday night, which is live on TalkSport. We've got all 10 of the Premier League games this week. Uh, and um, there's a lot of kids that uh, are in and around that first team. And when Danny Ings doesn't score, they don't tend to. Uh, Crook and I had a discussion about him dropping a little bit too deep in matches at, at the moment and that causing Southampton a bit of an issue. But it's going to be a tough test for Arsenal. It's live at 8.15 on Tuesday night. <laughs> Dinho, Dinho needs to get a decent cross and he does and Calvert-Lewin is underneath oh! and he's headed oh! in and Dominic Calvert-Lewin has got the equaliser for Everton. We are doing well, uh, honestly we improved compared to last season and uh, 
This is the target to, to improve every year. Well, Brighton has sent the ball forward. It might come through to James Madison inside the area. He's onside and he strokes it past the stranded Mendy. They have ambition to improve and develop. Uh, and with so many young players, I can see the, the, the development of the, the team clearly. So, uh, of course, if the season finished now, we'd be, we'd be really satisfied. Everton-Leicester should be an interesting game on Wednesday. Leicester rested a couple on Sunday but came from behind to win at Brentford. Tielemans and Madison looking very good. Ricardo coming back into the team adds uh, depth and competition in the fullback areas. Both these teams, though, have had problems with their main striker recently, either out in Vardy's case or coming back from injury in Calvert-Lewin's case. But boy, did he make a decent return, scoring against Sheffield Wednesday. And I suppose, uh, bearing in mind that he's a former blade, there was no surprise that he was going to do that. No, it was it was probably the the better the weekend, and, and we were speaking last week. We, we didn't see any problems for Everton that tie. I, w- I was actually a bit surprised by the the strength of the the team that Carlo Ancelotti sent out the first time in a while. That James Rodriguez, Richarlison, and Calvert Lewin have been paired together shows how seriously he is taking the FA Cup. And this will be a tough game for Leicester. We've made a lot of uh, the Jamie Vardy situation. I, I alluded to it earlier as being helpful for Manchester United, but actually Jamie Vardy hasn't scored any of Leicester's last seventeen goals. That's a good sign. True, for yeah. Brendan Rodgers because it shows that they're spreading the goals around. Yeah, uh, Tielemann scoring from the spot. Madison has scored four in four. Um, Cengiz Under scored and missed chances during that game as well. So maybe Brendan Rodgers developed a different way of getting the best out of these players, Darren Lewis, in the absence of a man who has been their talisman. They had, they had to look further uh, forward beyond Vardy because, of course, he, he's, he's getting on a bit. Yeah, absolutely. We've been saying that for a while now on this podcast, and I think uh, Leicester have been well aware of this for a while as well. I think Madison in particular is digging the team out of a hole. Harvey Barnes coming up with goals as well, and the odd one or two from Under and Perez. But I think they need another 20-goal a season, man. I think they need to be in for... Maybe a Danny Ings, who still hasn't signed a new contract at Southampton. Could he be the guy... Um, or could they be going further afield for someone who could come in and give them 15 to 20 goals a season? But I think they need a long-term replacement for Jamie Vardy, someone who has the ability to get in behind and somebody has who has the ability to be the difference in tight games because last, what, two, three months of the season, they were in a great chance for a Champions League position and they blew it because they didn't have somebody who could do that take the pressure of Vardy Madison can to an extent but you need a striker and if they don't get one I'd still worry for them Uh, West Brom against uh, Manchester City is another game on uh, Wednesday night Manchester City toiled at Cheltenham I was at Wadden Road at the weekend and City were put out their second string but they did have a 65 million pound centre half and uh, Phil Foden (laughs) in the team Um, they were (laughs) <laughs> they were average. Uh, if you're West Brom and Big Sam, you're scratching around for someone who's got a big throw, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe get Rory Delap out of retirement, although he, he might not take the job because, of course, his son is a Manchester City player. Um, listen, this is a comfortable Manchester City win. They'll win to nil. Probably not five or six because they're not that type of team this season, but if they don't win three nil, I'd be very surprised. They didn't at the Etihad, though, did they? No, that was Slavin Bilic's last stand, wasn't it? But um, I think this is a different Manchester City side now, more ruthless. Even at the weekend, that they went 1-0 down to a League 2 side. It would have been one of their most embarrassing moments, certainly in recent history, but they didn't panic and they won quite comfortably in the end. Oh, Pep had a little panic. In fact, he, he went down the touchline and gave Ben Tozer the uh, big long throw 
torpedo specialist a bit of an earful because he was taking the throwing from the wrong place and using a towel to to, to, to tampen it down. It was it was, it was quite funny actually. Uh, but they did. They come. I mean, Phil Foden. I've got to say, was absolutely sensational on the night. I mean, a lot of the others were let Pep down. I think actually, but uh, he was he was he was terrific. Uh, defensively, they've been very good in the Premier League. Only Callum Hudson-Odoi has scored against them in the top flight since West Brom got their equaliser just before half-time in Slaven Bilic's last game. And that's been sort of the bedrock of their their recent resurgence, Darren. And we've mentioned it quite a few times on this pod. Um, with everybody else faltering slightly, apart from Manchester United, they're in a situation where actually, realistically, they're top of the league, Manchester City. Because if they win their game in hand, they're, they're actually got more points than Manchester United. So, so essentially, at this moment in time, points per game, this is the best team in the land. Absolutely. Um, and you talk about the players that other teams have lost. Vardy, Valesta, Van Dijk out for Liverpool. Chelsea have lost their form completely. De Bruyne is out for Chelsea, for City too. So it's not as if they haven't been affected. I've also been affected by um, Aguero's poor injury record. Uh, Jesus' inconsistent form. Players picking up COVID. Fernandinho has been injured this season. Um, they've had a few injuries, but their defensive record is so strong that, as you say, it has put them into the race and they are effectively assuming they win this game. Um, and bear in mind that West Brom have conceded 12 goals in their previous three at home. It's a way that they pick up the results. They are effectively top of the league. They, they'll win it to nil, as, as Crook was saying. I think this could be the performance of recent seasons as well if they manage to do it against all the odds. I know people are going to say, oh, well, they've got so much value, so many valuable players have spent so much money. But they've been a mess in the first half of the season to such an extent that people were saying, has Pep lost his spark, our city over the hill? And he looks like he's, you know, in the process of rebuilding another team. Uh, right, let's go trending. <laughs> Okay, I want to talk about own goals first and foremost. Ooh. And Jack Watmore, uh, the Portsmouth defender, scoring two own goals as they were smashed at home uh, by promotion rivals Hull at the weekend. And it got me thinking, has anybody ever scored a hat-trick of own goals in one game? And they Carragher. have, actually. No, not Carragher. Um, probably not, not a name you're familiar with. Stan van den Bijs. He uh, was playing for a team in Belgium. His side lost... 3-2 to Anderlecht. He scored all three goals. <laughs> Talk about a bad day at the office. Oh, that's terrible. I, I mean, I hate own goals at the best of time, but that that, that would be awful. That would be awful. Uh, what is equally awful is uh, Fenerbahce pleading with their fans to help pay Mesut Ozil's wages. He's taken a massive pay drop, 67 grand a week. I mean, I don't know how he's going to live off that. Uh, but within 24 hours of his arrival in Turkey, the Fenerbahce owner had set up a text message service where fans can donate uh, two pounds or whatever the local currency is to help pay those wages. How not do you, a great how start. How do you not know what the Turkish uh, currency is? Turkish lira, isn't it? I'm not as well trained travelled as you Sam <laughs> can't believe you've never been to Turkey I haven't actually uh, no that, that would be right it... up your street one of those little uh, barges on the Bosphorus would it be magical uh, someone who was magical at the weekend was Weston McKenney uh, he scored for Juventus a header against Bologna and we've been talking about uh, players having to come up with goal celebrations because under social distancing rules they can't really celebrate together he pulled out an imaginary wand and it was a tribute to his childhood hero Harry Potter 
surely he got battered in the dressing room for that that's not an admission that a, a, a Juventus player should be making surely uh, well I don't know I mean lots of people do like Harry Potter have you never watched a Harry Potter movie I love the ride. Um, I went um, on the ride in uh, in America. That was fantastic. Does that Harry sort of, Potter sort of sum up Alex Crook for you? you know? mm. Have you ever read one of the books? No. Have you watched one of the films? I sort of tried. But I like the ride. The ride's great. The theme park. Ten litre bucket of Coke and the uh, super great big uh, popcorn. Fantastic. Spill it everywhere. Didn't, didn't take the kids though. I didn't actually. <laughs> Newcastle versus Leeds, Crystal Palace versus West Ham, Brighton versus Fulham and Burnley versus Aston Villa to come. Let's start with Newcastle versus Leeds. Uh, there's an audible sob on the time after Newcastle's <laughs> latest Premier League defeat to Villa. See what I did there? Uh, they face Leeds on Tuesday night on TalkSport 2. Jamie Redknapp said there was nothing to be encouraged about with Newcastle. Ten games without a win in all competitions. The fans are sick to death of it. Um, so here is the question. Uh, what about Steve Bruce? Does he have a future? Is he going to be the latest to fall under the axe? In as that's what we're doing uh, today. He hasn't endeared himself to the local press this week, Darren. Newcastle at the moment are one of the easiest clubs in, and easiest teams in the Premier League to play against. They've lost five of their last six. They went out of the FA Cup with a whimper to Arsenal. Steve Bruce has been fighting with, with, with fans who are unhappy with the team style of play and with journalists who are there basically on behalf of the fans. What he's done at the moment is ban journalists from asking questions at press conferences. Now that's all very well if he does, doesn't precede that by saying, I will never shy away. It's cowardly to do that. It is unprofessional to do that. Journalists are there at press conferences to do a job, ask questions about the way that the team is playing, about the players who are going to be available to him, and to ask why the team isn't playing better to articulate the concerns of people who have a financial investment in the club, the supporters. So I, I don't see how any manager, not just Steve Bruce, any manager, any club can justify barring journalists from asking questions. I it's don't understand why any, any person in the public life who does press conferences on a regular basis can moan or filter any questions if someone asks a ludicrous question you can turn around and say quite easily well i'm not going to answer that because that's not a very good question and if someone asks you a question about a matter that you don't particularly want to get dragged into you can say well that's not really on my agenda at the moment but yeah i've 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 seen that and i'll look into it or i'll offer a very intelligent witty answer to to a question and pad it away and move on and it's only a question. And I think sometimes supporters think that uh, if you, some supporters believe that if you're asking a question, you are offering an opinion. I, I think what everybody needs to understand that to in order to elicit an answer about a certain subject, you've got to ask about it. You need to discuss it. Then there's scrutiny. Scrutiny is not a bad thing. It's a good thing because when you're scrutinising a manager who's not doing particularly well or a club that are not buying the right players or a club that are not um, giving you full access to where they're spending their money, for example, or why they're buying a load of has-beens, there's a good reason why people ask questions about it. I mean, I'm not saying that's Newcastle or, or any other club, but, you know, a lot of 
questions were asked about Portsmouth back in the day when they started to sign every uh, available superstar, uh, even though they only had a 19,000 capacity and they had this great big new uh, Russian Ono who was bankrolling it. And everyone was like, where is this guy come from? All of a sudden... Because people asked questions, it, it became very clear that he didn't have that money and Portsmouth got in big, big trouble. But that was, I mean, even the, the, the very existence of that club was actually saved by the investigative nature of some of the journalists in that area. So, you know, believe me, uh, managers might not like it when they're asked tough questions, but it is part of their job to be able to deal with them. And supporters will thank journalists later down the line when they uncover stories about wrongdoing or mismanagement or poor choices in their club. Absolutely. And, and, and I've got to add to that. If he does it to the print journalist today, he'll do it to the television journalist tomorrow. He'll do it to the radio journalist the day after that. Not just at Newcastle, any club, no football club, whether it's in the elite level, whether it's in the championship, whether it's at non-league, should have the right to ban journalists from asking questions. It's We, we cannot accept it. Otherwise, we're going down a very, very slippery slope. And I think that all journalists should be outraged by the move that Newcastle have taken. So what have they, what have they sure said? They... What, what have they said then? What, what is their official line, Newcastle? Then they're not going to allow journalists to ask questions at a Zoom press conference in, in the build-up yes. to the Leeds game. So what is he going to do? That He's just going to turn be... up and what? Just say, hello, my name's Steve Bruce. I've got a game tomorrow against Leeds. This is the team news. Goodbye. Presumably he'll answer questions from rights holders, TV companies, Sky Sports, Talk Sport, because he has to. Well, I But think... they're under no financial obligation to answer questions if from newspaper was, journalists. If it was up to me and it isn't, I would not take it. I would refuse to for, to do it. I would say, no, we're not doing it. We're not doing any press conference. If he's not going to speak to everyone, he's not. We, no one should do it. I think we should just not, it should be a blackout. Do you know who's going to be absolutely delighted with all this and absolutely delighted that Steve Bruce is now the full guy in the eyes of Newcastle supporters? Mike Ashley, because he's taken the heat completely away from the owner, who we know is a hate figure uh, up in the northeast. But at the moment, all the fans' ire and anger is directed at the manager, and therefore Mike Ashley at the moment is is getting an easier ride than he has done probably for some time. Uh, well, they play Leeds, who haven't had a great time themselves. They've been reflecting on the fact that they've uh, traded places with Newcastle over the last few years. Their disillusionment has gone. Newcastle is very much there. But they have suffered three straight defeats. I bet they're thinking, thank God we got Newcastle this week. Um, they have lost the last three without scoring Leeds. Um, can they solve that? Ipswich Town in 1970, the last team to lose four on the trot without scoring in the top flight. Um, Leeds didn't exactly struggle in the first game for goals between the two, though, did they, Darren? No, they didn't, but I think they're feeling the pressure uh, or the effects, I should say, of, of a very intense first half of the season in terms of the way that they play. I mean, look, they're in good shape. They sit 12th, four places above Newcastle. They've taken 23 points from their opening 18 games. Um, they were without Calvin Phillips. Um, yeah, he's back from suspension, it, it, isn't he, this Brighton match day? So. And he's back. And I think he's particularly effective in terms of smothering attacks and being able to build attacks from uh, just in front of the back four. So um, I think that will make a big difference. And uh, listen, Newcastle, they are just, they're, they're very, very easy to play against. They don't have re any real tactical shape. They're very t safety first. I think they'll be get back on the road leads 
Um, I'm really convinced that if Bruce didn't want to take questions before this game, he certainly won't want to take questions after. Uh, let's rattle through the last three games, then starting with Crystal Palace versus West Ham. West Ham threw in the cup, doing very well. Start the week in seventh in the Premier League. Palace, not an easy go place to go for West Ham. They haven't won there since October 2016 when Aaron Cresswell was sent off and Lanzini won them the game. Uh, they lost to a late goal here last season, relied on Sebastian Allaire's goal uh, to get a point against 10 men Palace earlier in the campaign. And although Palace were effective at Arsenal, difficult to break down, they don't score goals, Alex Crook. I don't know what I've done wrong, but by uh, a quirk of fate, I I seem to do every Crystal Palace against West Ham fixture. And I'm doing this one, actually, commentary um, on on TalkSport 2. It's been a great first half of the season for West Ham. David Moyes' contract coming to an end in the summer, surely they're going to give him a new one. I think he's done a fantastic job. But you're right, they do struggle uh, against Crystal Palace. Roy Hodgson seems to know how to frustrate a David Moyes team. And um, they, they, they tend to stay in this game for as long as possible. The, the winning goal that IU scored last season was one of the goals of the season. A bit criminal, actually. It wasn't discussed in those terms. So this is going to be a big test of, of West Ham. Obviously, Crystal Palace have strengthened their forward ranks as well. That probably spells the end of Christian Benteke. They're in transition, 14 players out of contact. Contract. I think it'll be close. I think West Ham might just nick it. Brighton against Fulham. Brighton had a little trouble with Blackpool this weekend. Fulham have improved. Uh, they did play at the weekend, lost, but they changed their team quite significantly. But this is an important uh, game for Fulham because they've sorted themselves out at the back, but they can't score goals now, which is a bit of an issue. Uh, but Scott Parker certainly has reacted to the pl- problems and 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 spotted the issues and tried to fix them. And I think that should be uh, applauded. They were off the pace a bit on Sunday against Burnley, maybe with an eye on this game. And with good reason, Darren, because if they beat Brighton, they go to within two points of the Seagulls with a game in hand. And I think they will. I, I, I look at the performances against Manchester United, Chelsea and the draw against Spurs and all of those performances tell me that they should have too much for a Brighton side that are okay going forward but can't defend. They've always got a mistake in them uh, in the Premier League. Uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, they've won five times but each of those wins have come away from home. Yeah, they've not won at home. They've not won at home in the league since beating Arsenal, which was the first game back after lockdown. They did win it at home in the FA Cup against Blackpool uh, at the weekend, but again, didn't exactly put an understrength Blackpool team to the sword. I do think, though, in Eve Basuma, they have a genuine superstar in the making. And if he's not playing for one of the top four clubs in the country, Within two years, I'll be very surprised. I think he's got everything. He's box to box. He can tackle, he can pass. He can smash them in from 25 yards. He did at the weekend. I know the biggest clubs are looking at him. I think Brighton will do very well to keep hold of him beyond the summer. Corner will come in now. Delivered towards the far post. Headed towards goal and in the back of the net. And Burnley have got their goal. We've changed in the sense we've got players fit. We've changed in the sense we've got that competitive group. We know we've got a competitive edge and a competitive spirit. We still have got to do better in the final third. Plays it wide towards Cash. High cross into the area. El Ghazi with the volley. In between the legs of Mendy and into the back of the net. And Aston Villa are level. Well, who knows? I mean, it could be a special year. Uh, We're certainly hoping it will be. We just want to keep going game, and game by game and working as hard as we can and improving as a football team, as individuals and, uh, and moving this club forward. 
Burnley against Aston Villa. We need to pay tribute to Sean Dyche for being the first manager since Sam Allardyce to uh, beat Liverpool on their own patch because we haven't spoken about that because it happened on a Thursday night. Uh, well done to him. I do think it's odd. This great Liverpool team that went 68 games unbeaten. Um, the defeat preceding that was Sam Allardyce and the one that ends it is Sean Dyche. Uh, it's just completely the two non-Liverpool type managers that you, you could ever expect. I think that was quite a quirky stat. Uh, Burnley, 19 points at the halfway stage win their game in hand and they have the same points as Wolves, only one less than Crystal Palace. So I, I think they've done okay to sort of sort themselves out. They don't score very many goals. They're not particularly attractive, but they spent two million quid in the summer so what do you expect I suppose I mean they're doing very good just to stick around aren't they Darren Absolutely I mean that win over Liverpool kind of lifted them up to 16th in the table seven points clear the relegation zone and you just talked about the scenario that would um, lift them to teams with much more in terms of playing resources and depth of squad uh, they haven't spent that much money they've got no right to be where they are uh, or they where they will be if they were to win this game but and it's a big but, Sean Dyche. He's just so good at setting up teams to get results against teams you wouldn't expect them either to take points off or to beat. Uh, people keep underestimating them and, and to, to their cost. I think that they could easily win this game. Having said that, Villa very good away from home. Um, so this may well be a close one. I can see this one panning out as a draw. Okay, um, thank you very much for your contribution today. That's it from us. We'll be back with a full review of Thomas Tuchel's first game in charge of Chelsea <laughs> and preview all the weekend football on Friday. Well, we've only been recording for one hour and 18 minutes. When we started, we didn't even think Frank Lampard would be out of a job. Uh, but now Chelsea have, uh, have got a new manager. So things move Sam, very, very quickly, quickly in football. Sam, very quick. are you, are you sad? what's your overriding feeling right now? Is it sadness at losing a club legend in a managerial hot seat? Or is it excitement that somebody could come in to turn your season around and perhaps put you back in touch with the title race, give you a chance of competing in the Champions League? It's it's it's, it's, it's not fair to really ask me to to, to be a a supporter who can give you a, a a supporter's view of it because I don't think like that anymore. I haven't thought yeah. like that for a long time. I I've been involved in football probably too long to 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 be a supporter in the in the purest of senses. I think so. As a result of that, you, you sort of it, it it happens so often. You just it's. Just, it's another manager losing their job. I'm, I'm, I am sad. I'm usually sad when any good man or good person loses their job. I, I don't like that. I think that's tough, not only for them, but for the backroom staff that work with them. And knowing mm. them as well as I do, I am disappointed for them and I, I feel for them. That's the emotion. I, I don't think it's a particularly great decision. I think that Chelsea, and I was going to say this when we had our conversation earlier on, but now you've asked me, I'll say it now. I think Chelsea very often shoot themselves in the foot. I think they, they've they had some great successes with the chopping and changing of managers over the years. It's kept them on the bridle. They're always hungry for success, but it has lost its power a little bit, I think, in the last few years. You often now see a manager have one good season followed by one bad very quickly. It wasn't always like that. You, they'd changed the manager, but it wasn't, it wasn't as quick the turnaround. I think... Players know the drill now, which is an issue. 
And I also think that the recruitment of playing staff needs to be much better. This is a club that really should have dominated the 2010s. They had some of the best players in the world. Remember, Chelsea had Kevin De Bruyne. Chelsea had Mohamed Salah. Chelsea had Romelu Lukaku. They had Bertrand Traore not so long ago as well. There's a lot of talent that has passed through that club that has gone on to elsewhere and made their name and become superstars. And I think that in itself is is a failing. You know, they've signed some they've signed some absolute rubbish. You know, there's a lot of bad recruitment there as well as as as, as good recruitment because there's some good players that have come through. Someone like Cesar Apilicueta, who's been there nearly ten years now, has been an absolute gem of a player for them for a very small investment. They've done some great business getting players out. You know, Oscar, they got a huge amount of money for. Mata, they got a huge amount of money for when they didn't want them anymore. But they spent a lot of money on Danny Drinkwater and he's never played. I think structurally, the club are have got to look at their their recruitment. And I think that also, ultimately, if they'll alienate some of the fans by doing this the way they've done this today. So they're a considered answer, Sam, and um, credit to you for that. If you want a more instantaneous reaction, look at my Twitter handle, Alex underscore Crook, and you will see <laughs> the, the shock look on Sam's face when we, we broke the news about Frank Lampard and uh, prob- probably the greatest photograph that I've ever taken. <laughs> you were proud of yourself for that, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Captured the moment. Yeah, you did. Right. Thank you very much to Darren Lewis and to Alex Crook. All three of us will be back on Thursday uh, for a look back and a look forward to a huge weekend of football on TalkSport. 10 games on TalkSport this week. Make sure you download our app and you'll have access to them all. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply.